Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. And now, as we begin week two of prayer and fasting, I'll start speaking and preaching about prayer and fasting. I have read, and I usually do this time of year, but I think even a little more than usual, I have read a lot of stuff, articles and a couple books about fasting. And maybe the most fascinating thing I read was an article that I found online explaining why fasting is inappropriate and unnecessary for Christian believers. So, starting today, we stop the fast. No, we don't. I'll tell you this, uh, and I'll quote it more probably next week. The author was wrong, but he was wrong for a lot of right reasons. Let me try to explain. I'm going to look at one of his objections and what we can learn from it. And, And it starts out sounding pretty compelling. You know, there are over 600 laws in the Old Testament spelled out, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do this, when you do this, do it in this way. And there is not one specific command to fast. Did you know that? There is, now, on the Day of Atonement, many translations of the Bible, it will say, fast on this day. But what it actually says is, this is a day to afflict your soul. And there are other times where it says, afflict your soul. And this is widely interpreted as fasting, and in fact, I happen to agree with that interpretation, but it does not specifically command us to fast. Um, and down through the and we're not just talking about Bible scholars looking at these uh, these phrases. We are seeing in the Bible how they implemented these. They would fast. They would go without food. But the author here was not saying they didn't fast in Old Testament Israel. He's simply saying they couldn't connect their fast to a command from God. Now, and we'll come to why, when we're, t- when we're saying afflict the soul, why the fast is the most logical and reasonable interpretation of that. And the short version is, hunger is, is probably the most powerful physical drive we experience. And so to combat that, to resist that, is indeed to afflict the soul. We'll probably come back around to that, at least on the oblique, a little bit later. But let me just throw this in here. Uh, Richard Foster wrote a book many years ago, many years ago now, called Celebration of Discipline. I have referenced it often, and he was writing about how God has given us certain practices, certain disciplines to engage in that form in us the image of Christ. Now, this idea of spiritual formation has come under fire in recent years for a lot of good reasons. It starts to take on some self-help ideas, some little guru, maybe hippie flavor, and that's too bad. Because, um, again, it can descend into a works mentality. Uh, But Foster's point all along, and Foster had a Quaker background, was never that if you do these things, God will be more pleased with you. He's simply saying these are tools that have been practiced down through the centuries that make it easier to be the people God God called us to be. Um, 
And that's what's wrong with practically everything about this article, <laughs> about why we should not fast, because uh, it's, it's, he makes it sound like the only reason people fast is to be noticed by God, to earn things, to get things from God. And that's simplifying it. It's simplifying it. The only reason I really, or one of the other reasons I bring Foster up, is that in this article and at least one of the books I read, without attribution, they almost certainly referred to his book. There's a whole, uh, there's a whole chapter on fasting in the book, A Celebration of Discipline. And for those of you who like to uh, dig up books that I mentioned from the pulpit, make sure if you, uh, if you go the cheap route, which I always recommend, go on Amazon or eBay and find a used copy, but do get the revised version. At least get one that comes from 10 years after the original one because the original one had some issues with it, and we can talk about that later if you're interested. Anyway, I'm not accusing these guys of plagiarism, but it, it is funny. You can look up, hey, sermons on fasting, and many of them, if they give you good notes, in fact, almost every one that I looked at referenced Foster, referenced Celebration of Discipline, and specifically this chapter on fasting. And both of them, and again, they stayed on legal ground, I'm sure. It's not like they plagiarized whole sections, but both of them referred to, both of the books I'm thinking of, the article and the one book I read, uh, cover to cover was they referenced a who's who of biblical figures who fasted. Moses, David, Daniel, Ezra, Anna, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, and Cornelius. But the legitimate question from the article, or the challenge was, yeah, all these great men and women of God fasted, but did God proclaim the fast? Did God ordain the fast? And that's something we have to look at because at the heart of all fasts is this. Why are we fasting? Now, I say this every year, and I'll say it right now, and I'll say it again at the end of this service. Uh, actually, let me say this first. God did not call us to fast this year. I, Scott Millis, pastor of Living Word Family Church, have invited you to fast as a congregation. Please understand, God didn't tell us not to fast. I'm not shaking my, ah, I don't care, you told us not to fast, we're going to fast. I'm just simply saying, we're not doing this because, oh wow, what do you know, here it is January 1st, and God again told me to lead us in a fast. No, why am I doing it? It just seems right. It seems right, and there's a heard a sermon many, many years ago from John Grunewald that I have uh, used portions of when we talk about being led by God, that he leads us with the seam right. As long as our hearts are in the right place, as long as we are delighting ourselves in the Lord, we can trust that the desires we have are desires he gives us. So, I just want you to understand this isn't a matter of legalism. It's uh, first of the year, we have to fast. It just seems like a good idea and continues to seem like a good idea. The other thing, here's the thing that we say every year, what's a fast for? To get God's eyes on us? To get God's attention on us? No, it's to get our eyes, to get our attention on God. If that doesn't work, if fasting doesn't produce the effect of getting your attention on God, it's useless, other than possible physical benefits. It's of spiritu of spiritually, it's, it's no, of no use. In light of what I've been referring to, 
the idea that God never commanded us to fast, the thing to see is that he never forbids it. He never forbade fasting. He never said, it, he never said it's a waste of time. He simply told us what a fast was supposed to be about. Maybe, I say probably, the greatest and most complete account of what God thinks of fasting is found here in Isaiah chapter 58. I'm going to read it in two versions. I'm going to read it all the way through verse 14, starting in verse 1. Isaiah 58, 1. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you do not see and have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fists of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you may bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover, them, cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall, come, shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy, satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, a holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, bear with me while I read this from the message. I think it's pretty good. Shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back, a trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me what's the right thing to do and love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line in your fast days is profit. 
You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast that I'm after? To show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? You call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on shivering ill-clad. Being being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on. Your lights will turn around. Your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. You get rid of unfair practices. Quit blaming victims. Quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and and renovate and make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day is a celebration. If you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor, Jacob. Yes, God says so. I know it's a lot of reading, but it's pretty exciting and pretty challenging, isn't it? Notice two things, even in this. He did not initiate the fast that they were complaining about. But in his response, he didn't say, don't fast. He simply questioned and addressed the motives and the worldview of those who were fasting. If you wanted to sum up, at least I think, the bulk of Isaiah 58, it says this, don't waste your time depriving yourself of food if you think it's going to cause me to overlook your sin. What God was angry about here is what so many are angry about, or at least pretend to be angry about, and that's hypocrisy. Now the word hypocrisy gets thrown around so much in reference to the church that it's in the category, in my mind, the same category as the word judgment. It gets loosely thrown about, lazily thrown about, but that is a message for another day. God is accusing Israel of outright legalism in the worst sense. And these were people, listen, God is upset with the legalism of people who actually lived under the law. How much less should we be guilty of legalism? Don't go through the religious motions while ignoring the things that are near and dear to God's heart. And you can't read through the Old Testament prophecies, uh, prophets, without seeing just how important. I mean, we, you know, I know I'm addressing a, a congregation that I've never 
done an official poll, but I think we're about 90% conservatives politically. And, uh, and I personally am politically conservative, but I think living in a conservative uh, worldview, uh, there's a big danger that we tend to not be sympathetic to those with genuine needs. We tend to poo-poo the idea of social justice, and these are things that God was dearly, dearly concerned with. It's it just jam-packed throughout the readings of the prophets, and certainly here. He's not saying, don't do the fast. He's not saying, don't read my word. He's not saying, don't study. He says, but here, you genuinely seem to love these things, and it doesn't bother you that you are ripping off your own workers, that you can walk past somebody naked on the street and say, well, it must be their fault. That's not my heart. This is what Jesus said. If you go to Matthew chapter 23, he spends almost this whole chapter just excoriating the Pharisees, the leaders of the church, the scribes, the religious leaders, for this great pretense of religion and piety. And they miss the heart of God the whole time. It's worth reading the whole chapter, but right here in verse 23, he says, this is Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Super important to notice that. He's not saying don't do the specifically religious things. He's simply saying keep them in the right context. He's not saying don't tithe. He's saying tithe but also Make sure that your heart is justice and mercy and faith. It's not faith if you're giving that tithe to buy God's protection and blessings and provision. Brother Hagen wrote, and he spoke often, of living a fasted life. Maybe you've ever heard that phrase or heard Brother Hagen use that phrase. Really? One person? I know more of you have. Are you awake? You want to do some jumping jacks for a minute? I'm, I'm not too far from being done. Can you hang with me, or do you need to get the blood flowing to your brain again? All right? I'm glad you don't want to, because I'm not, I really don't feel like leading you in jumping jacks this morning. Brother Hagen wrote and spoke of a fasted life, and I think he was on to something. And the whole idea there, what he's talking about, instead of swinging between, between periods of excess and deprivation, lead a life and exercise your appetites in moderation. Enjoy your food, enjoy your drink in moderation. Don't make a big deal about, and this is tough, it's tough here where things are so abundant, but this, this idea of moderation, I know that can be, uh, I may have shared this, maybe I shared every year, I just don't remember the last time, or if I did, there was a very funny uh, comic strip, I think it was in, uh, I don't know which one it was, I don't want to try to even attribute it to somebody who didn't write it, but you've got a guy sitting at a, He's seeking wisdom from a bartender or somebody serving at a diner or something like that. Oh, no, no, it was. It was, a, it was, it was, it was B.C., the B.C. comic strip, which was actually written by a Christian, but it wasn't a Christian comic strip. But he has this guy climb this mountain, and it's one of the recurring characters, this guru who sits on top of the mountain, and you can climb and ask him a question. He climbs up there and says, oh, great guru, what is the secret of a long life? And he says, everything in moderation. And the guy asking the question says, will I live to be 100? And the guru says, It'll feel like it. 
meaning moderation is boring, <laughs> okay? But that's really not the way God sees it. It's a matter of having our priorities in the right place. You know, when we talk about a fast, we talk about our food and our drink in moderation, but the same thing goes with your activities. There is nothing inherently wrong, in my view anyway, and I think most of yours, with games, TV, movies, sports, social media, etc. But it is way too easy to get addicted, and it's way too easy to turn any of these things into a misplaced priority. And physical hunger is a great teacher and a great reminder because, of course, it's necessary to eat. There's nothing sinful about eating, thank God. And also, it's a great teacher because we have trained ourselves to satisfy every urge that hunger manifests in our bodies. You know darn good and well you're not starving. But when your stomach growls, what comes out of your mouth is often not I could use some food. It's, oh, I'm starving. We tend to be a little bit hyperbolic when our comfort is impinged upon. Like my wife will tell you, as soon as it hits 78 outside, I'm melting. That's me, not her. Meanwhile, if it hits 65 outside, it's freezing. That's what comes from her. We're not starving. Most of us, most of us, not all of us in this room, are 40 days away from starving. Did you know that? It's interesting, and, and, and if you want to check out the Foster book, he goes into some detail. But when you go through a fast, uh, the hardest part is the first couple days. You know that. If you've ever done a total fast, especially. And if you've ever done an extended total fast, you learn that uh, the hunger pains ease up after just a few days. And once you get past that, now longer, I've only, the longest I've ever done is a week. I've done that more than once, but I haven't done it very many times. And I'll tell you, it is, you get tired. But if you do an extended fast, you get into day like 8, 9, 10, uh, those hunger pains go away, your energy returns, your body just has clicked over and it's feeding on your energy reserves. And depending on how many energy reserves you have, those hunger pains will return somewhere between 20 and 40 days. And that's the signal, that's the natural signal that it's time to stop fasting because your body's starting to feed on healthy tissue and not just your energy reserves. But there's a time there where you feel like you can fast forever. And one of the lessons this teaches us is, you know, what did Jesus say when Satan tempted him in the wilderness? Right? Hey, turn these, turn these rocks into bread. And he said, what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we can learn that there is true nourishment, spiritual nourishment, in the words of God. And God gives us, I think it's, some, it's part of what is put in us from the time of the new birth, an appetite for the word, an appetite for the things of the spirit. But if we live in a way where we are fasting from the word, what we should experience right off the bat is hunger but those hunger pains will go away. David Platt said this, our spiritual need for God is more fundamental than our physical need for food and water. Hear that? 
Our spiritual need for God is more fundamental than our physical need for food and water. Fasting, abstaining from food, will absolutely, it'll absolutely produce cravings. And those cravings are indicative of and related to a genuine and legitimate physical need. But we don't need to satisfy, again, every time we feel that or sense that hunger. What we do often is we oversatisfy. We overeat. And again, fasting can and should teach us that our spirits get hungry too. And just as we've trained ourselves to satisfy every physical craving, unfortunately, we've trained ourselves to ignore those spiritual cravings. Um, whoops, what did I do here? Sorry. There's something that Jesus said, I just quoted from Matthew chapter 4 in the temptation episode. In John chapter 4, after he, he's encountering the woman at the well. He's waiting on her to come back. And it uh, says in John 4, beginning in verse 31, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anybody brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's something we will uh, explore in coming weeks, but it's a little bit different from what we, when we usually think about feeding ourselves spiritually, it's about study, it's about listening to, to messages, it's about praise and worship, it's about filling up. Jesus said, my food is to do, to give, to minister. He was sustained, not just by what God was putting in him, but by what, how he was responding, what he was doing with that. It's, it's, a, it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. You've heard this, uh, it's often uh, referred to when we're talking about giving financially. You say, well, uh, we, are, we are not supposed to be reservoirs of God's blessings. We're supposed to be conduits. We are not the source of God's blessings. What we are is simply the hose or the pipe that God gets the blessings through. And what's our blessing? The hose or the pipe that is used to supply also gets wet. But we've got to keep it moving or we get stagnant. If we're going to stay wet, stay fresh, in this case, it's not about just feeding on the, on the Word of God, not just spending time getting fed, but giving and ministering and working for God. That is actually part, a big part, of what sustains us. It's exactly what Jesus said here. So... This is where we start. We are sustained physically and spiritually by the word of God and that our hunger for his manifest presence and his wisdom, his guidance, his word is something that we can and should cultivate and it can ultimately be satisfied in him. I've told you a story at least once of a coworker of mine at Canaan Land who uh, he preached a little message called Killer Vacation. Killer Vacation. And he shared that he, uh, he had some resources and he had a week or maybe 10 days off and he was determined to go visit us. He mapped this thing, I'm going to go back home, I'm going to go to this place, I'm going to visit this site, I'm going to ride this, I'm going to dive here, I'm going to do what. And he did all this stuff and got so busy enjoying himself that he neglected all the things that he was supposed to be doing because all those things that he was supposed to be doing were part of his job. 
He was supposed to be teaching. He was supposed to be studying, supposed to be leading uh, these guys in prayer. Uh, and so he had to so wrap that up with his job that when he left his job for seven days, ten days, he stopped doing all that stuff. And when he got back from vacation, he was exhausted. Now, many of you, <laughs> I know I've experienced that, especially if there's a long drive at the end of it. You know, you go to get away for a week and you come back and how many, how many times have you heard it said? How many times have you said, I'm actually more tired after my vacation than I was beforehand? When really we ought to be overall refreshed. And he wasn't tired and exhausted because he had just done so many things. He'd had some adventures. He's had some great visits, ate some great food. He was exhausted spiritually because he had neglected his spiritual hunger. Similar to that, I think this was a separate episode, but it was the same guy. He got so busy at the ministry doing some things Weren't, that weren't, uh, you know, not teaching, not praying, but some, some other things that he was called upon to do. He's a super hard worker. And he got so excited about learning new things and doing things and serving certain ways. And he would come in for supper and just eat like a beast. And he wasn't a heavy guy, but he was just, it's like every meal, he's like, give me some more of that, give me some more of that. He just, rawr, rawr, rawr. And he did this for uh, a couple weeks. He found out he was just eating like crazy. And he says, and he, again, he shared this with the whole, whole class at one point. He said, I was trying to feed my spiritual hunger with physical food. He said, I can't believe it took me that long to recognize. I wasn't that, I was working hard, but it wasn't like I'm burning so many calories, I got to have this extra food. It wasn't that at all. He was experiencing physical hunger, but he was so busy doing other stuff that it was easier just to try to satisfy that, physical, uh, uh, that spiritual hunger with physical food. It doesn't always happen that way, especially if you're not already in the habit of feeding your soul, feeding yourself spiritually. But these are habits and practices that absolutely can be cultivated, can be learned, can be instilled in all of us. And fasting is one of the most effective ways to do that. Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. Next week, we are going to be looking at the other element of this, uh, that the other element of fasting, which uh, biblically is the only thing that really matters. It's certainly the main thing, and that, of course, is prayer. <sighs> Remember, fasting doesn't get God's eyes on us. It gets our eyes on God, or it should anyway. There's a great example of fasting in the Old Testament that most of you know in the book of Jonah. Uh, and it's one of my favorite stories. It's a short book. It's very to the point. But you know Jonah was reluctant to share the word of God with Nineveh because he hated Nineveh. And he had such a high opinion of his preaching, or certainly had such a high opinion of God's word, that he just knew that if he went and shared God's word, they would repent. And then God, being God, merciful like that, would show them mercy. And this was his actual argument against God. Jonah, why'd you run? Why didn't you do what I told you? Because if I do, they'll hear and repent and call on you, and you'll save them. Like as if God was supposed to say, oh, never thought of it like that. My goal is not to save these people, so hmm, you're right. No. And Jonah, <coughs> I kind of assume he preached a little bit fuller message than this, but the only message that's on record is, yet 40 days and this city will be overthrown. Not even unless you do this. Not please turn to the God who loves you. You got 40 days. You're doomed. And the people responding to Jonah's message, the king calls a fast. Let neither man nor beast, man, woman, or child eat or drink. Sackcloth, ashes, 
But it says this, and this is crucial. When God saw their actions and that they turned from their wicked ways, he relented. This is the key. Was the fasting important? Yeah, but I don't think that's what got God's attention. What did it do? It got their attention. To the point of what? They stopped doing the wickedness that was inviting the judgment in the first place. And it staved off judgment for a number of years. Ultimately, it came and Nineveh ultimately fell. But they were saved because they turned from their wicked ways. If fasting doesn't make a way... I'll show you one more other little detail. And this is just me this year. There's a, I, have been, I have benefited spiritually every year we do this. Uh, but the last several years, I've done kind of a Daniel fast, which is, you know, Mostly fruits and vegetables. Maybe incorporate some uh, you know, beans or rice or something in there. But mostly fruits and vegetables. And I like it. There's a, always a physical element to that that makes me feel cleaner and stronger and better, stronger, faster. Just like Steve Austin, the $6 million man. But I, was, I feel led this time uh, to do instead of that. Uh, because here's what I found. By, by halfway through week two... I start finding creative ways to enjoy my fruits and vegetables and other stuff. And so I'll spend a lot of time thinking about, oh, here's a dish I can try. Uh, I can throw in some spices there. And, and so I'm spending a lot of time in the kitchen sticking to what the few things I can eat. This time, it's like, instead of that, why don't you set a meal or two aside so that you're spending less time thinking about and preparing food. Eat simple stuff. I went a little nuts yesterday. We had a long cleaning day at our house, and I knew we had some we were going to be around, and so I spent probably 20 minutes throwing some stuff in a skillet. And it was curry. It was beef curry, and I made it up, and it was really, really good. But it was a matter of just throwing it in a pan and letting it cook all day, and that was good. My mom just made an ugly face. You don't like curry, or you think beef curry sounds weird? I know. It's usually chicken or something like that, right? Uh, anyway, again, I'm not going to get hung up and legalistic about this. And sometimes it doesn't work in my family because fixing things to eat is my love language. And so I end up in there cooking for the kids or something anyway. Just got a big thumbs up from my boy. Uh, anyway, all I'm saying is, let God adjust this as the week goes by or as, the, as, as, this, as this time goes by. But what I started to say is, if this time, if this time of uh, neglecting certain things, of resisting uh, certain desires, of disciplining your appetites, doesn't produce repentance and godliness, re-examine how you're approaching this, okay? Because God, I hate to break it to you, is not saying, one week down, let's see if you can really go three weeks at this. And at the end of it, he's going, yay, you did it. You didn't eat sugar for three weeks. What do you want up to half my kingdom, child? That's not the way it works. It's a matter of what is this? It's not our fast does nothing to God. But if what it's doing to you isn't really, in a very measurable or at least observable sense, drawing you closer to him, okay, do something else or don't do it. But if we do it right, it's very, very valuable to us. And so stand up with me. Because meanwhile, here we are. And I know we don't have any first-timers here today. And I'm looking at a room full of people who I think are almost all believers. 
Maybe you're a believer in your heart, but you're not a confessing believer. I want to talk to you. Maybe you're not a believer in your heart. I, never just, I just never want to miss this opportunity. God is real. The God who describes himself, even though he's angry in Isaiah 58, do you hear his heart? Oh, do you know why I'm correcting you, Israel? Because if you do this right, it's going to be so good for you. And I want it to be good for you. I want to bless you because I love you. And I also want to bless you so that everybody around you, everybody around you sees how good I am to you. His heart is not to make us march in a straight line. It's to flood us with his abundance. But he's not going to just tolerate and, uh, and just wink at sin in order to do that. And sin is a problem. It's a problem for most of us. No, it's a problem for all mankind. We were all born into it. We can't escape it. And that causes us a big problem because God's like, I want to bless you abundantly. I want to be right there in your life, but I can't touch sin. Something's going to have to be done. So we'll say, all right, what have I got to do to fix it? You can't fix it. Well, what do I do? I'm going to do it. Sin has to be judged. Sin has to be punished. And the punishment is death. Jesus, God the Son, came and bore our guilt, bore our sin, and suffered our punishment, our judgment on the cross. That's what it's about. So when we go to God and say, how can I be right with you? He says, it's done. All you need to do is want it. You, but here's the deal. You can't own yourself anymore. You give your life to me. I promise I will take better care of it than you ever could. I promise I love you more than you could ever love yourself. I've promised you a good life, but I'm the only one that can get you there. Give your life to me. Let me be the boss, and I'll save you from everything the devil had in store for you. It's a good life he has for you. Will you receive it? Most of this, everything I've said today, is directed at people who have already made that decision for Christ. But that doesn't mean God can't be speaking to somebody in here today. It's like, wow, what is it? What is it that's so valuable that people would voluntarily lay something pleasant aside? Whether it's food, video games, social media, TV, why would you voluntarily lay something like that aside in order just to grow closer to God? And if you have to ask that question... I just want to introduce you to the God we serve, to the God we know, to the God who calls himself our loving Father. If that's you today, this is your moment. Don't leave here without making that decision. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.